0: We're we're going to have our our Bible reading. This morning, our our Bible reading, we've actually animated, basically. So it's it's a Bible reading of the traditional passage that we remember at the start of the new year of the wise men coming to meet Jesus.
1: Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in a region where the evil King Herod ruled. About the time of Jesus' birth, some wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, asking King Herod, "...where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him." King Herod was angered by what he heard. A king other than himself? In his own land? Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, "...where is the Messiah supposed to be born?" In Bethlehem, in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, are one of the smallest towns in Judah. But from you will come one who will rule Israel for me. He comes from very old times, from days long ago. Then King Herod called the wise men back in for a private meeting. He told the wise men, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child and when you find him come back and tell me so that i can worship him too after listening to the king the wise men left to follow the star they arrived at the place where jesus was and going into the house they found the promised child and his mother mary they gave him offerings of gold frankincense and myrrh and were so overjoyed at the fulfillment of god's promise they bowed before jesus and worshiped him that night in a dream The wise men were warned about returning to King Herod. He was plotting to kill Jesus. When they awoke, they departed and traveled back to their home country a different way.
0: So I want you to imagine this scene. Maybe it might be your sister. Might be your brother. Maybe it might have been your your one of your daughters. Or one of your children. Or maybe it might have been a friend or a niece or something like that. And they've just had a baby. And you decide that you're going to buy a gift for them. And I wonder if... I'm sure you've all imagined that scene. And I'm sure you've all been in that scene. I wonder what would you buy for them? Nothing. What would you, what would you buy for them? I can't believe you've not done this. Oh. <laughs> We'll come back to that one. (laughs) A what? A pink or blue bunny. Right, okay? Any advance on pink or blue bunny? Baby grows. grows. Oh, very good. So any advance on that? A A lot of nappies. Any advance... A blanket to keep them warm. That's a very good answer. Anything else? A cot. Oh, we're getting. Um yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Toys. Any particular toy? i <laughs> afraid. Yeah, start from yo. Anything else? A what? A dummy. My children weren't allowed dummies, basically. So yeah. So here we go. Now imagine this scene. Would any of you give any gold? Might do. Apart from Malcolm, <laughs> would anyone give any frankincense? Would anyone give any myrrh? Kind of like I was thinking, what would be the equivalent of of myrrh this morning? And I thought I I was going to nick sort of like a Chanel number 5 perfume bottle and spray it all around. Because that was what myrrh myrrh was like. It was expensive perfume. So why did Jesus get gold, frankincense and myrrh? Because they were luxury gifts for a king. And they help us to remember this, who God says Jesus is. And if we think about that, frankincense was this expensive spice. Gold, like now, was expensive. We read the myrrh, I've said, was this expensive perfume. And if you read the story and if you heard the story there, they're luxury gifts. They're the best gifts that they can bring. They're, they're not kind of like thinking, ooh. I'll spend a few pounds on it. Or I might spend ten pounds. There was no expense spared. They were luxury gifts. And we read that, and as we saw, they bowed down. They were gifts for a king. And they were reminding us of this. They're reminding us of who God was saying Jesus is. And over the rest of our service, what we're going to be doing is we're not necessarily going to be reminding ourselves who God says Jesus is. We're going to be reminding ourselves who God says that we are. Or if we want to put that individually, who I am, who you are, and so on from there. But before we do that, we're going to sing our next song together, and I'm going to hand over to Amy and Rachel.
1: younger children and well children up till 11 years old come and follow me and rachel to um the epiphany chapel over here we've got an activity to do with you over here
0: shall we sit down and shall we pray together Lord, help us to understand a bit more this morning about how you see us, as to who you say we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there were luxury gifts for a king to remind us who God says Jesus is. But then I suddenly thought about this a bit and suddenly thought, is that where it stops? Does God just give gifts to Jesus because Jesus was God's son? Or does it happen elsewhere in the Bible? And what I found when you start to read the Bible is you find over and over again, God wants to remind His people who they are. He doesn't necessarily choose physical gifts like gold or frankincense or myrrh, but He uses words. And words can be just as powerful as a gift as a physical gift. He gives us promises to remind us who he says we were. You know, if we were to just think about this, I mean, just if you have a little bit of Bible knowledge, you know, and think about some of the, the most sort of like, famous people apart from Jesus in the Bible. You know, let's think about Abraham or someone like that. You know, when we, when we think about it, you know, what I noticed when I started to look at how God was saying how he sees people is how often it's completely different from how we might perceive or how might, they might even perceive the, themselves. So let, let's take the example of Abraham. You know, Abraham, what was this old man? Older than any person in this place now. And we would look at him, we might say, oh, well, he was too old. He was certainly infertile. And what does God say to him? God says to him, You're to be the father of many nations. And he laughs, doesn't he? He doesn't believe God, and certainly Sarah his wife, she laughs as well. Oh let's take let's take another one. Let's take someone like Moses. Moses is of like once again, he's this old man, he's he's eighty plus. He's got a poor self-image. He can't speak very well. And God says to him, Moses, you are going to Egypt. And you're going to take the people, my people, out of slavery. And you're going to bring them in the promised land. And what did he do? He didn't believe it either. He didn't want to do it, did he? He wanted to send his big brother along instead to speak for him. Or even if we take it completely to the opposite end of the age spectrum. Let's take someone like David. Take someone like David. And looked too young. Too small. Even the person who was meant to go and anoint him as the king. Didn't believe that it was David who he was supposed to anoint. He went to the first brother, the second brother, the third brother, the fourth brother, the fifth brother, the sixth brother. He even considered a sister before he thought, have you got anyone else? Too young, too small, and God says to David, you ought to be king. And he became Israel's greatest king. Or even if we move into the New Testament, think of some people that we know in the New Testament. Think of Peter. Think of Paul. You know, how would we put Peter? You know, impetuous, a weak link. Someone who wilts under pressure. And yet Jesus says to him, you're a rock. You're a rock. Or take Paul, this violent church hater. And what does God say to him? He says, you, you are to take the church into the world. This violent church hater. And he says, you are to take, makes this promise to him. This is who you're going to be. And, you know, we could, we could go on. I've put in the, the notes of hers as well. We could consider Dave, Gideon. We could consider Samuel. We could consider John Mark. We could consider Esther. We could consider Philemon. All these different people, you know. And God sees them in a completely different way to what others expected, to what they expected themselves. And, you know, it doesn't just stop there. Because actually what I find is this. I find that he's still saying things today to each one of us. He gives us words of promise. His promises to us to remind us who he says we are. Where do we find them? Where do we find the promises? Well, the wise men opened their treasure chests up. We find them in here, don't we? This is the only place we find them. We find them in here. This is as was presented to the Queen at a coronation. The most valuable thing that this world affords. You know, the Queen's got an awful lot of money. An awful lot of money. Yet this thing... Is the most valuable thing the world affords in this building this thing this book is the most valuable thing because it contains the promises of God to us to remind us who God says that we are and I want to remind you of two this morning and they cut right to the heart of perhaps the biggest question in the world today it's the question of identity the question of what does it mean to be human what does, that, what does that look like? What does it mean? Because it's the most important question because the most deepest need that we all have is to be loved. Is to feel secure. Who am I? And what we read is two, two simple promises that God reminds us this morning of, of who we are. You know, you might have forgotten them. You probably may have heard them before. But if we don't get them right... Everything kind of goes a bit haywire. But if we do get them right, we become different people. We become the best version of ourselves. Here's the first one. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Or as another translation says it, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new person. The old is forgotten. The past is forgotten. The new has come. That is, for me, one of the most important promises of God that we have in the Bible. Because remember this word, in Christ. Whenever you see that word, and it's mentioned hundreds of times, in the New Testament, this word, in Christ, it means this. It means what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That was, if you like, the expression. It wasn't the term Christian or even disciple. It was in Christ. This is the promise that you are in Christ, that we are a new creation, that we are defined not by our past, but we are defined by who we are in Christ. And here's the the second one. That because we are in Christ, we are children of God who are loved by him. You know, I could have chosen a number of verses for this. But I just thought of this one said it best in 1 John 3 and verse 1. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children. Children of God, and that is what we are. And you know, the way we remember these two simple promises, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And see what love the Father has lavished on us, that we are called children of God, and that is what we are. Those two simple promises, we, we just have to remind ourselves about them, because often we forget them. or Often we, we live in a world that doesn't want to tell us that. And wants to tell us a completely different story. And those two simple promises, and we learn them by filling our minds with Jesus, by hearing them, by reading them, by studying them, by memorizing them, by speaking them out ourselves over our lives. And then we become like trees planted by the waters that do not wither but flourish with fruit. And so when I go back to the wise men and I think about how they opened their treasure chest, and, you know, and they brought out lavish gifts, I think, well, what could we do? What could we do? What would be the best and most lavish gift that we could bring to help us to remember who God says we are? You know, what would be that gift? What could we do? And I thought about, firstly, this. What is your Bible reading plan for 2020? So in your handout there, if you've been at church, if you came to St. George's last week, or if you were, at ch- if you were here two weeks ago, if you were maybe here Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, you would have got this particular sheet there that I put in the handout this morning. What is your Bible reading plan for 2020? Because this is the only place where we find the promises of God. And there's hundreds of them, perhaps even thousands of them. It's the only place. So if we've got to keep reminding ourselves often who God says we are, my thing is this, what is your Bible reading plan for 2020? Because if we don't have a plan, we drift. And drifting is the worst thing any Christian can do. It's the worst thing. So what is your Bible reading plan for, for 2020? You, if you've read that already, you'll have seen that you know what I'm doing. That I'm doing a quirky one with Psalms and Proverbs, because I felt that that's important as part of that. You know, you can read the Bible in the air. Interestingly, some of us are members and we, we get an email every week of Bible readings for the week. And I was actually interested that the person who sent that email out, who's here today, didn't know what I was going to speak on today about some of the promises of God to remind us of who God says we are. And their, their title of the readings that they've sent us for this week that came into me something very early this morning was The Promises of God. You know, a wonderful theme. I want to show you something basically, let's try and get a bit practical this morning, basically, let's just see, let's have mass confession time, who's got a smartphone, mass confession time, keep your hand in the air, who's got a smartphone, an iPhone or one of those dodgy motor rollers like I've got at the moment, right, right. Keep your hand up. Who's got a tablet? Like an iPad or something like that. Keep your hand up. Go on, higher, higher, higher. Come on, I want to see this, basically. Right, keep it up. Right, who has mass confession now? Who has ever downloaded an app before? So you, lots of you know what I'm talking about. Right, I am going to show you a few things that can help. Right, this is the first one. This is an app called Uversion. version is the most popular Christian app in the world. But let's say you're just thinking, you know what, I'd like to read in the year. I'd like to read, let's say, something to do with reading the Bible in a year. So we just put it in. And look at all these different things that come up. All these different ones. So you've got look at them, yeah, <laughs> loads of them, and so forth. Oh, let's say I just picked a couple. Like let's say let's say you want to do something to do with God's promises, or something like that. What would God say to us? And look. You've got all these different plans of various different versions that you can just take. That's a free app. It's a you version. So that's the first way that I'd answer that question. You know, what is the most lavish gift that you can bring? The first one is, what is your Bible reading plan for 2020? And if you've got one that's worked for you for decades, and so on from there, brilliant. Keep using it. But then I want to ask a second question. Is that best we can bring. Is that really the most luxurious thing that we could do? And I want to suggest that what we do is we consider something alongside that. And so I want to show you an, an app this morning. In the handout I've given you three others that you can that you can look at and, and so on from there. These are these are all free but this is a very new app. This is called Lectio 365, and we're going to use this as part of our service after our, after our next song. I'm going to use it to show you how it works. This, some of you, over Advent, use this book. Now, I used this book over Advent. I thought it was a very rich resource. And it's from the people who've made this. So some of you are familiar with your Bible reading notes from Every Day with Jesus. Some of you are a bit older than some and you know that through a guy called Selwyn Hughes. Some of you now like to talk about Jeff Lucas. It's from the people who made that as well as the 24-7 prayer movement. And they've produced an app that helps us to to pray. I'm going to run through the one from the Sunday in a moment, but there's other ones as well. You can get physical formats of these as well, but I've shown you these because most of you have got an electronic iPad or tablet or smartphone or something like that. And we're going to use this particular one after the singing of our next song. Because they're important, because they help us to remember who God says we are. Not how anyone else says we are. Not how I say we are. Not how the person you're married to says how you are. Not how your children might say who you are or your parents might say who you are. Not how your workmates might say how you are or your friends say who you are. They're important because they remember who God says we are. And what the children are doing just over there, and we're going to come back and use it later on, is right at the end of your handout is... A picture of a rainbow i chose the rainbow deliberately because it contains perhaps the oldest or certainly one of the earliest promises of god to his people and i've just used the colors there and reminded you of a different promise that you can take away and pray each day memorize each one they're not that long for each day to remind us who and how and who God says we are. Shall we pray? Loving Father, who knows us better than we know ourselves, thank you for your promises to us. Help us to remember who you say we are and to live our lives in the security you bring. In the name of Jesus Christ, in whom all our hopes are realized. Amen.